Good morning. Glad that you are here. If you're visiting with us, we're especially glad you came our way and thankful for your presence. We take encouragement from seeing you here. I've met several as went around and just some, some different faces. And it's not that I don't like the faces that are always here. I mean, I, you know, we love seeing members. We expect to see our members, but it's always a great thing to see them. But when you look up and you see some fresh, different faces, we're grateful. And that means that you made some effort to be here, and we're, and we're, and we're glad it, it blessed us and hope that it blesses you to be here. We're in Matthew chapter 28. We'll be there for just these four verses. So you won't be jumping around, but we'll be making reference to them. So if you would, uh, go there now, and, and, and we'll be there in a moment. I, I want to say for the young professionals class, the, the one that's young professionals now, not the group formerly known as young professionals, but the young professionals now, there is a Super Bowl um, gathering at, at the Furby House next Sunday. We're gathering at 4.30 for a worship service first, and then we go into the Super Bowl party. If you are a Kansas City fan, we have barbecue because it's Kansas City, Kansas City type barbecue. So we have barbecue stuff for you and, and chips and stuff like that. If you're a San Francisco fan, we're starting a fire in the yard and we're giving you um, some tongs and a package of hot dogs and you just do what you want with them. Um, because we couldn't think of uh, rice aroni. I don't know, San Francisco, I don't, I don't know what you do. But anyway, so, uh, so if you are a San Francisco fan, provisions are being made. But Kansas City, you have a uh, front row seat to a great football game uh, at the Furbies. So this is Young Professional, so remember that for next Sunday. Um, and Mac Ramsey will be speaking here, so we're grateful for him for stepping into that. Let's sing together. Jesus. years ago there was this book that came out with an argument that said you need to have the DTR conversation with God the define the relationship conversation what is my relationship with God what is the status when a couple is dating and they're starting to see each other and starting to get a little more exclusive to each other they've got to have this define the relationship we've got to be on the same page are we are we just kind of dating, but if we find other interesting people, we would date them too? Are we exclusive to one another? We, it seems like we have to have this conversation. We kind of have to be on the same page and know this. I mean, even Facebook has the status, and everybody's got to have it, either single or dating or whatever the other statuses are. We've we got to make it known to people, and our parents need to know, and our friends need to know, and other interested people. It's that conversation. And even those of you may remember your dating days when you, when you thought that it was settled. You thought we were a couple, but then suddenly she decides, you know, to have this conversation. I know we've been dating for a while, but let's just be friends. You know, that come, am I the only one who experienced that? You guys look at me like, all right, I'll just do my own therapy then. Uh, apparently nobody else knows what I'm talking about. I get, I get myself in trouble for this with other people, though, even as they're walking out the door of, of a church. Let's say I know who the, the guy is, but he's with a, a girl, and they seem pretty close to each other, so I have to open up my big, stupid mouth and say, so are, are you all dating? 
Well, now that makes it very awkward for me. It makes it very self-conscious for them. And it's really like they should look at me and say, well, it's frankly none of your business, preacher. That's what they should say. But instead, I force this thing. And it just before I know it, before I can put that governor on my mouth, I've got to say it. And then it makes everything weird for everybody. And I watch Paul do this all the time. You'd think I would know this from Paul. Paul, college students, if you ever come in with somebody, it's just... It's, it's over for you. It's over for you. It's like, he comes up and he does this. I'm looking at Paul like, you just look so dumb right there, Paul. You know? And he does it over and over again. And then I do the same thing. I mean, what is the deal? The, the, what, what difference does it make? And why do you need to know? But there comes a time, right? You stand before a group of people and say, we're married. There's a ring on the finger. And now the world knows what the status is and it's to be honored. There comes a time like that. And you know with the discipleship thing, when it comes to God and our relationship with him, we need to define what that relationship is. What exactly is his role in your life? What, What exactly is the relationship? So we have at the end of Matthew... After all the disciples have been through, we have them gathering here in Galilee by a mountain that Jesus chose. And 11 of them come to him. 11 disciples come to him and they have this conversation. Now, there's been thousands that have followed Jesus in the book of Matthew. You see them everywhere. There are crowds everywhere. There are thousands of them. Some of them are just kind of like casual bystanders who happen just to be there, right? They're interested in him because they, they sit there and they listen to him. They're walking with friends and they see a guy come by and heal this woman who'd been bleeding for many years and hear her story. And it's fascinating, right? Some of them are amazed. It says a lot of times people are amazed at Jesus and he's not just to be a wonder worker, so that's not enough. And yet, you must be amazed at him to ever get to discipleship. There are some who are enamored with him. Some that kind of have a crush on him. Look at this. Look at the way he he captures an audience with his humor. Look at his ability to heal people. Look at his ability to go face to face with the religious authorities and have these amazing debates that are very entertaining. And I want to follow for that. But then all of a sudden he gets invasive and he starts teaching me these truths that I have to go by or I can't follow him. And suddenly I'm just a fan. I'm fanatic about certain things, but I... I don't really want to give him everything. There's too many weird things he talks about. And so there's those in the crowd. These are different categories that people get grouped in as far as what's their status with God. What's their status with the Lord? Any number of these, you know what? You've got to go through them all to get to discipleship, but none of them are enough. None of them are enough for your life. He must become Lord and you must become disciple. And these 11 gather here. Even they have their own story. There were 12, do you remember? There were 12. One of them betrayed him and decided, I guess I don't want to be a disciple anymore. One of the 11 standing there just a few nights before denied him three times. Another one just a few days before this said, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe you are him unless I can put my hand in your sides and the wounds that you've got. There was doubting Thomas. There's others. And notice what it says. You see that in verse 17? They were, they were gathered here, and some of them, of the 11, some of them worshiped, but some of them, what's the word? Doubted. They'd been with him for three years and seen amazing things, and still they're not certain. And I know in this auditorium this morning, we got every one of these. And I'm not ridiculing and I'm not minimizing any of them. You have to go through them all. 
to get to disciples. So God bless you wherever you are. But the goal of Jesus is to make you choose discipleship. Now I'm going to use this passage and I want you to look at it because I, I don't have a slide for this and I should have. But let me define discipleship. He tells them, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Do you see that in verse 19? Go and make disciples. There's two, there's two things to making disciples. It's put in a participial phrase, two different ones, baptizing them and teaching them all that Jesus said and make them do them or have them do them. So there's two things to discipleship, baptism and learning what Jesus said and doing it. Those are the two facets of disciples. So when I say disciple, what do you mean by disciple? It's a person who's baptized and a person who is doing or seeking to know all that Jesus commanded and do it. That's what a disciple is. By definition, how do we become one? A disciple is one who has settled the matter of sovereignty. This is the most difficult. But I want you to see the first word Jesus speaks. There they are. Some worshiped him and some doubted. And Jesus came, verse 18, and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am the supreme authority of your life more than your government more than politicians more than philosophers more than the advice of pundits around you more than psychologists more than historians more than anyone else i have all authority in heaven and on earth for a disciple the highest authority of his or her life is none less than Jesus the Christ. That's a hard sell. You know why? Just a few days before, Rome had its way with this Jesus. Rome took this Jesus, crushed him, nailed him to a tree and killed him. And here he's saying, I've got greater authority and sovereignty than Rome. That's a tough sell, isn't it? It sure doesn't look that way to anybody else in the kingdom. But can I tell you, by virtue of resurrection, he proved he has greater authority and power than anyone on the face of the planet. You see, Satan offered him this in Matthew chapter 4. Satan said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And what Jesus knew is this is a shortcut. He could have taken Satan's offer and he wouldn't have had to suffer and die and be raised again. He could, but the thing is, God is as concerned about the means as he is about the ends. What God gave him was all authority, not only the earthly kingdoms, but all authority in heaven too, and God handed it to him. This is an image from Daniel. I want you to see this. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not gonna have all authority. I'm not one of these days gonna, or when I return, I'm gonna. Jesus already has all authority over all things. Do you believe that? I can tell some don't. That's okay. You're in different places where you are. 
It's hard to believe. When I look at the world, I don't think that the, the kingdom of God influence and the kingdom of God ethic holds sway over anything. You go to school and you tell them about sexual purity. You go to school and talk about integrity and honoring your word and being a person of truth. You go ahead and talk about that school at, at school and you'll be mocked and ridiculed beyond belief. And you're like, I go in and I tell what Jesus believes and he holds sovereign sway over everything and I get made fun of and I get laughed at and everything everybody it seems like at school what holds sway in the hallway has nothing to do with what I hear at church there is an irrelevance about what we preach here when you take it out in the world and yet you're telling me Jesus is above the world I know it looks funny I know it's confusing it's so many times for school kids young people what they hear here has no bearing whatsoever on what life is out there. But for a disciple, the question of sovereignty has been settled. I don't care what it looks like, and I don't care what it sounds like. Jesus is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, President over Presidents, Nation over all nations. I know what it looks like when we take it out into the world, into your world of your work, and you try to live by Christian ethic, and they kind of make fun of it, and they kind of minimize it, and you feel like a minority, and you think, I'm, 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 I'm the servant of the Most High Sovereign? It just doesn't feel that way, I know. That's why you've got to settle this question in your head. Daniel chapter 2, there's these visions that Daniel had. You remember this? The, four, the, the creature made out of four different materials, right? And finally, it says, in the days of those kings, talking about the Roman Empire, the feet, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. No more kingdom after kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. There's going to be one kingdom that overtakes the whole earth and is above every other kingdom. It's not that there are no other kingdoms. There will be, but there's one kingdom over all, beyond all, before all, and after all, and it's called the kingdom of God. It's going gonna, it's gonna to operate at the same time as other kingdoms. And it says, it will never be destroyed. The kingdom will, be le it will never be left, or it shall, nor shall it be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all those other kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. The kingdom of God is beyond all nations. Before the United States, God bless America, before the United States was, the kingdom of God already was. The kingdom of God is right here in the United States and it stands above our president and above our Congress and above our Constitution. And after the United States is long gone, the kingdom of God will still be ruling strong and there'll still be the same one on the throne no matter who the president is. You believe that? A disciple must. You'll never become a disciple unless you believe that. You would never repent because if you don't have to change your ways to honor a higher authority, you'll never come in the kingdom, and that's the only reason you repent. That's the only reason we obey the will of God when it goes against everything in our culture, when it goes against what everybody else says. The reason is because you settled the question of sovereignty. Daniel chapter 7. The kingdoms are fighting each other for who's the greatest, right? And here's the vision of Daniel. After, as all these four major kingdoms, in the book of Daniel, nearly every one of these kingdoms, except the Roman Empire yet, are, uh, took over at a certain time for Daniel. Daniel worked for several different world authorities. It's amazing. And he was great in every one of them. Why? Because he honored the one king that was above them all. But he says, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took a seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. Next slide. 
stream of fire issued, came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. As these kingdoms are trying to decide who's the one in all ultimate authority, the God comes down. God, the Ancient of Days, comes down from heaven, opens up the heavenly, heavenly uh, screen, right? He opens up the screen, and there's God. Now notice what happens next. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the Ancient of Days. So here's God sitting on his throne, has all authority. He's the one over all the nations. But suddenly the Son of Man comes down and enters the presence of God. Look at what God gives him. And to him, the, the, the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will never pass away and his kingdom one that shall never be destroyed. God will, in the days of those kings, which the, the kings of that time will be Rome, in the days of the Roman Empire, God is going to give the throne over to Jesus, and he's going to rule all in all. And here he is at a mountainside in Galilee at the end of his earthly sojourn, and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Daniel is fulfilled in Jesus. You've got to believe that because Why? Whoever is sovereign is the one that you will listen to and the one that you'll be afraid of, is the one you will respect and the one that you will follow. And when there's all this advice about how you should live and what decisions you should make in your life, the sovereign is the one that you listen to. He's the one on the throne of your life. And the question is today, are you a disciple? If you're a disciple, you've settled this question. The one on the throne up above all presidents and congresses and above all fears that you have and above all all principles and above all teachers and above all authorities in this life is Jesus. If you're a disciple, there's only one person on the throne and it's Jesus, not even you. Next week, we start a series on gender issues. And this world is in flux with gender issue stuff. And you know, I could, I've done the study on this, a lot of it. I've still got more to go. But I'm reading what scientists say, and I'm reading what philosophers say, and I'm reading what psychologists say, and I'm reading what biologists say, and medical doctors say, and they're all varied, and they're saying that it could be this and could be that. Can I tell you, if you come to church next Sunday, I'm going to tell you what God says. And if you're a disciple, that will be enough to settle the truth now you're never going to have that settled to where you go out in the world and you say it and everybody's going to say well that's the truth no they're going to still argue with you they're going to still say this and they're going to still say that but listen you're sovereign the sovereign is God and his son Jesus Christ the sovereign is him and for you as a disciple there might be other camps that you're coming from and you respect them and you listen to those voices and you care deeply about what they say and how you treat people but the question of truth is solved when the question of sovereignty is solved who has all authority Jesus does if you're a disciple a disciple is one who's baptized you're going to go make disciples. You're going to baptize people. And I know in the religious world there's all debates about what, the, what baptism is for and is it essential and all that stuff. Listen, if you want to be a disciple, you're going to be baptized. 
You're going to be one who's immersed in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I don't care whether that formula is spoken while you go under there or if somebody says nothing at all. What you are saying is I'm submitting myself and I'm hiding myself under the authority of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Why am I being baptized? There's all sorts of reasons, but here's one of them. Because the Father and the Son and the Spirit have beckoned me to. And I'm going to submit to them, and I'm going to adopt and imitate their character, and I'm under their authority for the rest of my life. And you don't, you're not afraid of this. You're immersed. If you're a disciple, you're immersed. Somebody, are you a, are you a baptized Christian? That's, that's redundant. That's an oxymoron, right? It is like... There is nothing in Scripture you'll never find an unbaptized believer, an unbaptized disciple. It's, it's, it's an impossibility. A disciple is one who's baptized. They submit and surrender completely to the authority and guidance of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they demonstrate it as God asked us to and allowing themselves to be completely submerged under their authority. And for the rest of their lives, they'll live out that model. The, 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 the disciple then is one who learns what Jesus has to say. And he does it. There's two things about being a disciple. One is you're baptized. Once you're baptized, the rest of your life is set on this. I want to know what Jesus commanded and I want to do it. Do you know why we stress Bible class so much? Why Terry takes so much time to find the right teacher for the adult classes. Why Charlotte has to work so hard to get people in those classes for our kids. Because the number one responsibility and task of the disciple, once they're baptized, is to learn all they can about Jesus and what he said. That is our main task. Teach them to do all that I've commanded you. All of it. And I got to tell you, this is a tall order. This is a tough task because there's some of the stuff that he says I don't understand. You'll be hearing about that in the next few weeks. There's so much of the stuff that he teaches that I don't get why it's important. And there's some of it that's really hard. Some of it's really hard. And yet I'm, I'm agreeing as a disciple. I'm submitting completely to him. And whatever he says, that's what I'm going to do. That's what discipleship demands. It's all of it. Now here's the weird thing that's happening to that, 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 uh, as I'm raising kids who are different than me. How many of you have kids that are just like you? Raise your hand. Jeremy, oh, we need to have prayer. Heartfelt prayer. How many raise kids who are so drastically different from you, you're wondering if, no, I mean, you're just, you just don't know how it happened. Raise your hand. That's you, okay. That's me. I was a student. Let me, I'm, a stu I'm a student even now. I love study stuff, and so I'll just, right. I want to know what I'm doing. I don't care whether I get a good grade on it. I just want to know all that I can about this topic, right? So when I went to school and went to college, every class I went, even if it's a class I wasn't particularly interested in, history or science, or I would throw myself into it and just do the best I can with it. Here's how my son does this and his friends. They've got to get a, they've got to get a C in this class. They don't like it. It's not their major. They don't like it. So, and they're going along in the class, and he, he figures out meticulously exactly where he is. And when I go into this final, if I want to get the, I want to barely get a C, all I've got to do is make a 71 on the final. How he figured that, I'll never know. 
All I need is a 71. I'm shooting for a 71. I'm studying for a 71. And I'm, I'm hearing him say this, and I'm going, what? No. No, you want to learn the material, and you want to you want to ace it. You want to break the curve. No, no, all I need is a C in this class to keep my, my scholarship. And to get a C, I just need a 71. So I'm going to study for a 71. You've got to be kidding me. Who does this? And then in early service, everybody raised their hand. We all did this. I must be a weirdo, right? Do not, do not take that philosophy into your discipleship. Jesus says, if you're my disciple, you'll be baptized, and I want you to command them all. I want you to teach them all I commanded and do it. I want you to take it all. And I want you to take it all knowing that it's the best way to live. I think a lot of us are still like Adam and Eve. It's the greatest, it's the greatest mirage that Satan gave birth to when he said, when he told Eve, you eat this fruit and it will be good for knowledge. You'll be just like God. You'll be as wise as God. You know what? She believed it so much she saw it. When she saw the fruit, it was good to eat and it was good to make her wise. How do you see something that's not even, how can you look at a, at a fig and say it's going to make me wise? You can't see that. You're believing a lie so much you can see it. I believe God's holding back something from me. I think the reason he's commanded this is that he wants me to, he wants me to, to, to be miserable. That is not true. You know why he told them not to eat of it? So they wouldn't die and be driven from paradise and live the rest of their life with the effects of sin. Do you know why he tells you, he commands you what he commands you in the New Testament? So that you won't die, so that you won't have to live with the misery of the impact of sin in your life. That's the whole reason Jesus gives the commands he does. And I know some of them we don't, we can't draw a line between this and good health and wholesomeness. But you know what we do? We trust the sovereign God knows and we obey him even if we don't quite understand it. All of it. Disciple is one who wants to baptize and teach other people. He wants to disciple other people. He says, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of other people. I want you to have the incredible privilege of being one major factor in someone else being baptized. Anybody been there before? Anybody been a factor in someone else choosing to take on the life of the Christian faith? There's nothing quite like it. Nothing quite like it. You know what, the, what makes one of uh, Evelyn's uh, coconut cream pies particularly good or what makes a movie particularly rewarding to you? You go and you taste that pie or you go and you watch that movie and you find it incredibly satisfying. And the first thing you want to do is find someone you care about and say, I want you, listen, you've never tasted coconut cream pie until you tasted this one. You've got to come to church with me. You won't invite them for a sermon from me, but you'll invite them on a potluck because you know coconut cream pie will be there. I know this is true. I've heard it. I want you to taste what you could never taste anywhere else. I want you to go to a movie. I'll even pay to watch the movie again if I can just see that you're getting as much satisfaction out of this as, as I am. A disciple who is so thankful and so grateful and so, in, so pl pleased with the discipleship life, there's one thing that will make it even better, and that is sharing with someone else so that they participate in it too. That's what discipleship is. I, I want you to experience this. I want you to be immersed, and I want you to discover the great joy of living as Jesus commanded. Now, I know that's a weird message. 
You go in the world and you say, listen, I want you to become a Christian because it's the best kind of life. And they're looking at you like, you can't do this, you can't do that. It is the best kind of life, isn't it? Ooh. It is the best kind of life, isn't it? I mean, we're a church. I should be able to assume an amen on that one. If anywhere. And if I could get one wish, it was the entire world would become a disciple of Jesus. You know what that would clear up in this world? You know what a difference it would make? But you don't have to get the whole world, although he's targeting the whole world. We just need to get one more. We just need to be able to share this. That's one of the, there's one last thing a disciple needs to know, and that is that you are never alone. The Lord is with you all the time. Now, why is that important? Every time God gave a call like this, this is very amazing, isn't it? All authority has been given to me. I want you to go into all the world. I want you to teach them all that I have to give. And they're like, wow, that's so overwhelming. That's so encompassing. I just, little old me, me, that's so overwhelming. I don't know that I can do that. And so many people fail to become disciples because they don't think they can complete discipleship. They look at discipleship and say, I couldn't do all that. No, you're not going to do it all by yourself. I want you to think back to Moses when God says, I want you to take these people out of Egyptian slavery. And he's like, oh, he comes up with all these excuses, remember? And finally the Lord clinches it for him. When he says, you know, I don't have a voice to speak. And God says, who's made your mouth? I can make your mouth say what I want it to. You just be a puppet. You open your mouth and I'll do this, right? Is it not I, the Lord? Go, I will be with you and your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Moses, this is not just in your hands, I'm with you. Joshua then takes on the scene, and he takes on the scene from this mighty warrior of Moses, this incredible figure of stature, and he's like, how can I possibly take his footsteps, right? How can I follow in his sandals? No man, God says to uh, Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, no one will stand before you, no one will oppose you, no one will be able to withstand you, right? All the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you, and that clinches the deal, and he never looks back again Gideon little Gideon hiding where nobody is God says you're a mighty warrior I'm just from the smallest clan in the world right my clan is the weakest in Manasseh I'm the least in my father's house and the Lord said to him ah I will be with you and we're going to strike them as one you and I together are going to tear these people apart Every time he gives a commission, he says, I'm going to be with you. And there's then Jeremiah, who was called when he was still in the womb. And then when he's called by God, he's a really young man. He says, I'm too young. There's no way. I'm youthful and I'm childish in certain ways. And the Lord says, don't say I'm too young. Everybody I send you to, you're going to go to. And whatever I command, you're going to speak. Don't be afraid of them. I'm with you to deliver you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm giving you the the greatest insurance, bumper-to-bumper insurance program at all for your life. I'm going to be with you. And this is not just about comfort. I'm going to be with you as you get beaten. This is for empowerment. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not always also with you to do it. Discipleship is hefty. I'm not going to lie to you. Discipleship is tough. It's overwhelming. It's a major mission. But you are never alone. Do you know what's as, what's as ludicrous as an unbaptized disciple? A lone disciple. There's no such thing. 
You will never, as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, go anywhere alone. He's always with you. Little old me, living a discipleship life like I see in Scripture. Yeah, that's right. Little old you, with God, living out a discipleship life. It's the best kind of life. It's got a great future. And so I say to you, you need to have the DTR conversation with God. Just who is he in your life? What is his role? Take a second in the sanctity of your mind and say, what is my relationship? Define the relationship. Are you a disciple? If you are, keep learning and keep doing, aware that the Lord is always with you to help. If you aren't, but you're learning and you're trying to get closer and closer, God bless you, grateful you're here, keep coming. If you aren't a disciple and you want to be, if you've settled the issue of sovereignty and willing for him to be Lord of your life, you're just a baptism away. And we'd love to witness it as we stand, as we sing to encourage you.